Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the Hey, so you get with me today, we'll have a good time. I was looking for uh, some places in Scripture where there was these moments where God might be trying to say, hey, I want your attention. You know, hey is one of those words that you use when you're trying to get somebody's attention, right? I mean, if your kid's about to do something they're not supposed to do, what do you say? Hey, get your hands off of that. Hey, don't do that. Hey, listen to me. Hey, watch what you're doing, you know? And so we use that as a way to grab attention. Well, God has some hey moments throughout Scripture, and we're going to look at one of those today. And one of those great hay stories is the story of Balaam. Uh, Balaam was a prophet. Balaam was a a man that uh, this is what he did. He, He went around to different places. He prophesied. And when he would prophesy, things that he said happened. And so Balaam is this guy, he's kind of an obscure guy, we don't really know a lot about him, but uh, there comes a point when the Israelites have moved past uh, the Jordan River and they are camped in the plains of Moab. And their king, Balak, sees this as a big issue. He's leading the Moabites and he sees these Israelites coming in and they are just numerous. And he knows that this is a big problem. They've moved into his area and so he's very, very concerned about what's going to happen for his kingdom because of all the Israelites coming in. He's already heard stories about how God has come to fight for them, how God is delivering their enemies into their hands and so he's looking for a way out. So he comes and he finds this man Balaam who's obvious reputation has preceded him. And he says, I want to send some people to him. I want them to come, Balaam to come, and I want him to curse these Israelites because he's very concerned. In verse 4, you'll see, if you read it, he says the Israelites are going to come in and they are going to take over the land. I'm concerned. I need some messengers to go to the prophet Balaam and get him to come and curse these Israelites before they take over. Let's pick up our story here in verse 5. It says, Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Baor at Pathor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come up from Egypt. See, they cover the face of all the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Balak sees these people moving in. And he says, these people are way too strong for me. I cannot defeat them in my own ability. So I need to call upon some resources that are stronger than me, bigger than me, and rely on them to help me have the edge in this situation. I'm looking for... Uh, an advantage here. I'm looking for something that will give me the upper hand in the situation. Balak is the enemy in our story, right? I mean, he's the one that's coming against the people of Israel. And so in our story, we got Balak, and he says, look, these people have come up, they cover the face of the earth, and they are settling next to me. In other words, Balak is saying, hey, these people are moving in on my territory and taking my land. But God has his own hay in the story. God has his own hey moment for the church, and that is this. Point number one, hey, move on the land and claim your territory. God called the children of Israel to do what? 
to possess the promised land. That's what he called them to do. He called them to move upon the enemy, to drive the enemy out of the land, and to take over where the enemy has set up camp. The message has not changed for the church today. He still called us to move in on the enemy's territory, to claim the land that he's held for years, and to move him out and set up residence where the enemy once occupied. God wants us to do that. And he's saying to us today, move on the land and claim your territory. Listen, the enemy does not like it when we move in on his territory. He doesn't like it. He's not just going to say, oh, you want here? Okay, I'll get up and move. He's kind of like that church person that's been sitting in the same seat for the last 20 years and somebody comes and sits in their seat and then he comes along and he says, hey, I've been sitting there for 20 years. I need you to get out of my seat. The enemy doesn't like to give up his ground. He doesn't like to give up his territory. He doesn't like to move out of his place. He wants to occupy those lands and that that area. And he wants to occupy not only our cities and our churches, but he wants to occupy in your life too. He's got some inroads to some of your uh, different areas of your life and he does not want to give those up. Why is growing so difficult? Because we are fought every step of the way. We're fought every moment that the the Lord speaks to us about growing and developing in an area of our lives because the enemy has built up strongholds in those areas. He's entrenched himself in a philosophy that you have bought into and believed and he is not wanting to give that territory up. But God wants us to move in where the enemy has set up camp and claim that for ourselves. The enemy has been living in uncontested land for years and he settled into that land very nicely. You can go anywhere in this country and you can see where the enemy has set up residence. You can see in your own family's lives where the enemy has set up residence. You can see probably if you are willing to look deep enough into your own life where the enemy is controlling certain aspects of your life and you know that he doesn't want to give those things up easily. Here's what I want you to know this morning is that it doesn't matter how long the enemy has occupied the land, it still does not belong to him. It still doesn't belong to him. You know, when I used to read the story uh, in the Old Testament and I would think about how all the Canaanites and the Hittites and the uh, Amorites and all these other ites were getting pushed out of their land, I just thought, you know, that seems like such an injustice. It seems like it's unfair for God to decide that he wanted to choose a group of people and say, you just take it over and all these people that have been living there for years have to give it up. But what I didn't understand is that God had already given it to his people long before those inhabitants came and settled in the land. And we think because certain things have happened a certain way for many years that we just have to concede that that's the way it has to be. But I've come to tell you this morning that that land still belongs to us. It never belonged to the enemy. And it never was his to claim and set up residence in. It's always been ours and it's been ours since God created us and gave it to us. It was given to us 6,000 years ago in the Garden of Eden. We may have lost, listen, we may have lost the lease on some property, but the property still remains in the name of the builder. And nothing is going to change the deed on that property. God's still the owner of heaven and earth. He's still the owner of the galaxies and the universe. He's the owner of it all. And he's decided to give it to us as his people. And so we don't have to give uh, place to the enemy. We rather have the obligation to drive the enemy out of the places that he's occupying. We need light to invade the darkness. And we need that to happen not only in our personal lives but also in this community. 
We want to see God show up huge in the lives of every person that we come in contact with. We are the light, we are the salt, and we ought to be flavoring this environment that we live in. Let me say that again. I said we are light and we are salt and we ought to bring, be bringing some flavor to the atmosphere around us. We ought to be bringing some flavor to the environment around us. When we go to work, we ought to flavor that thing to our, to our liking, to our taste. We ought to flavor our relationships to our taste. We ought to be adding some salt that comes from Jesus Christ and making that stuff taste a little better and feel a little better. Amen. Not just conceding to what the enemy desires to do. Yes, land has probably been stuck in probate court, uh, you know, and it's waiting for the rightful heir to stake claim against it so the great judge can release it to its rightful owner. There's land that's been tied up, but the rightful owner is us, and we just have to stake claim to what God has already promised us. And so I'm just encouraging you, don't let darkness invade your life. You don't settle for the circumstance that you presently live in. But you say and you declare over that circumstance that God is still God in the midst of it. And He can change it to your advantage. He is a God who favors His people. And you have favor this morning. You are walking in the supernatural favor of God. You have an upper hand. You have an advantage. Just like Balak sees these people and he says, they're too many for me. The devil sees you and he says, I know that if I don't do something about this situation, they are overtaking me, they are overpowering me, and they will drive me out of my land because the favor of God rests upon them. You have the favor of the Lord. And so I say this to us, it's time that the enemy be evicted from the places that he's occupied. It's time for eviction notices to be served on the enemy in your life and in this community. And I say this, he, he's been here long enough. Hey, he's done enough damage. Hey, he ought to be out and we ought to be in. He ought to not be able to occupy any more what he's had for years. This is our land. This is our city. This is our church. And this is my life. And I get to choose how I live it. And I refuse to let the enemy dictate terms when he has no right to do such. Numbers 22 verse 7. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with a diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight and I will bring word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Now, if you haven't studied Balaam, you may miss a few things here because Balaam is kind of an odd character in the Bible. I mean, we really don't know even really what he's all about. We don't know if he's just kind of a prophet for hire or if he really truly serves the God. But one thing we do know from time to time, he's hearing from the Lord and the Lord is blessing what he's doing. So he's anointed even though he may not necessarily be doing everything he's supposed to be doing. And can I just jump on a side note there and say that you might be anointed and not necessarily be doing everything you're supposed to be doing? God rests His anointing upon your life sometimes and you're able to sing, you're able to speak, you're able to do some things, but if you'll align that anointing with the purpose of God in your life and submit to His will, you'll see things happen in your life that you never dreamed possible. It takes alignment. And once alignment happens, power is released and God moves in powerful ways. I want you to notice a couple of things in the text. First of all, 
Balaam says in verse 8, lodge here tonight. Now, whether or not Balaam is serving uh, Israel's cause or not, it's probably not a good idea if you're going to the Lord to lodge his enemies. He's having an enemy sleepover. Isn't that nice? You know, I think, I think that's precious, that he decides that, hey, let's, let's just, y'all just come stay with me. We'll just have a party. We'll just have a little enemy sleepover here. Even though you're against the children of God, even though I know from my own experience that God has moved in their life, He has blessed them, He delivered them out of Egypt, He's knocked their enemies out of their way, that's okay, we're going to let you come stay with us. Partying with the enemy. You know, I think a lot of us do the same thing. We think, well, you know, I can't have the enemy operating in this particular area of my life, but this one, okay. I won't let him lodge here, but he can set up residence here. I'll let him not operate in this particular area of my life because that is consecrated and dedicated to the Lord. But in this area, well, we'll just make some concessions here. The enemy has no place in your life at all. There is no relationship that can be established between light and darkness. It does not work together. The prophet Balaam should never have said, come stay with me. He shouldn't have. He's wanting the Lord to speak and to bring the enemy of the Lord into his home. Puts him at odds with the very God he's seeking, uh, seeking advice from and seeking information from. The second thing I want you to see is that God says to Balaam, Who are these guys with you? What are you doing, Balaam? Point number two is this. God says, Hey, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Balaam, why are you allowing these guys to come stay in your house when they're my enemy? I thought you were on my side, but I've got to ask the question, hey, whose side are you on? Whose team are you batting for? Who are you working for? Sometimes when we play softball, and some of us are out there playing, I wonder whose team we are actually on. How we made the playoffs is a, is a mis- it's a miracle. It's a testament of the miracle working power of Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's all there is to it. But sometimes you have to ask the question, whose side are you on? Whose team are you on? Are you serving the cause of God? Or are you serving another cause? God's saying to Balaam, what are you doing? Why would you let these men stay with you? Let's look at verse 7 again. And I think we find the reason here, the problem that Balaam is dealing with is found in verse 7. The elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. Balaam was taken back by what he perceived to be an opportunity before him. Where was Balaam's weakness? I don't know. I'm not the Lord. I can't speak to that. But I can speak to the fact of what the Word tells us. That he was willing to let these men stay in his house and these men also brought with them some money that probably spoke to Balaam's heart. Listen, we don't want to sell ourselves out for what the enemy offers us. We don't want to give in to him because he may be offering us some things that we don't have. And I will say to you this morning that the first tactic of the enemy to neutralize your efforts has been and will always be to offer you something that you don't have. He'll offer you something you don't have. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm saying he'll offer you financial gain if you'll just do something for him or if you just won't move 
and do the things that God is asking you to do. You say, you know, sometimes we, we go through uh, periods where we're really trying to serve the Lord and, and dig in and, and fight for the cause of Christ, and we seem to face obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, opposition after opposition after opposition, and what he does is he begins to offer us something so that we'll get comfortable and back off and just stay where we are. He did it to Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days and he hasn't eaten anything. And I promise you after 40 days he's hungry. He's he's struggling. And the enemy comes to him and first tempts him in his physical need. Jesus is hungry and the enemy tempts him to change the stones to bread. The second thing he does to Jesus is he tempts him because he's been operate, Jesus has been operating in obscurity for the last 30 years. Nobody really knows anything about him. He just now has gotten baptized and he steps out into the wilderness. So he's been obscure in serving the cause of Christ. And what is, or serving the cause of the kingdom. And so what does the enemy do? He comes and he says, if you'll jump off of this building, I will have the angels come catch you and lift you up. Or the angels will come get you and lift you up. He's saying, if you'll just bow down to me, submit to this test, then God will exalt you, and that's what you've been looking for. He's testing him. Now, Jesus was not subject to a need for recognition like we are, but the enemy is testing this ground for him. The third thing he does is he tempts his lack of comfort. Jesus is a poor boy from Nazareth. He doesn't have a lot of wealth. He doesn't have a lot of goods. He doesn't have a lot of material things. He doesn't have wealth of the comforts of life. So the enemy says to him, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you will bow down and worship me. And I'm telling you this morning that if he will tempt Jesus, he will certainly tempt you. And if he will tempt Jesus with all the things that Jesus didn't have, that's the first tactic he's going to use to lull you into his place of neutrality. Not being effective, not moving, not doing anything, but just remaining comfortable. The enemy always tempts us by offering what we don't have. He's trying to buy us with stuff. And he wants to see if we're a sellout or if we uh, are not. And he will see if he can get in bed with you over a deal that puts you at odds with God. The fact is, when Balaam says, lodge here tonight, he made a deal with the enemy that put him at odds with the Lord. He immediately began to put a wedge between him and God. Now God is gracious and God is good and God still spoke. But I'm saying to you this morning, don't lay down on the job just because the bed is comfortable. Don't lay down on the job and quit and give in because of comfort. Because comfort will rob you from being effective for the kingdom of God. It will keep you from being the person that God wants you to be. One of the great things about Uncle Si is that he's always taking a nap on the job. Every time you uh, watch him work in an eight-hour day, he's going to take two of those to sleep. And I think that for a lot of us, we're kind of like that. We lay down on the job from time to time. Why? Because the bed's comfortable. It's easy just to kind of rest. It's easy for us to find a, a comfortable, nice, soft place and settle in and not be moving towards the thing that God has for us. Don't let him neutralize your effectiveness because he's offering you something you don't have. God says to Balaam, who are these men with you? Who is on the journey with you? Who is on your journey with you? 
Who is traveling with you in this journey towards Jesus Christ? Because I will say to you, you better determine whether or not the people in your life are placed there as opposition or if they're placed there as opportunity to advance you. Not everybody that's in your life was placed there by the Lord. Right? Let me go further and just say this. Not everybody in church that you build a relationship is placed in relationship with you by the Lord. Sometimes people will come along and they may have good hearts and good intentions, but will set you off track from what God really has called you to do. You need to be careful who you let speak into your life. You need to let, be careful who you let direct your steps. And you need to be mindful of the relationships that God is trying to establish for you, in you, through you, so that you can be what God's called you to be. Outside of the church, same deal. There are people in relationship with you that are either one of two things. They're either opportunities that are advancing you towards God's call or they're opposition to keep you from being what God wants. And so you need to decide which ones are which. Are they opposition to where God is leading you or are they opportunities to assist you on your way? Because here's the deal. What looks like opportunity, the money for Balaam, the diviner's fee, may be opposition. And later we're going to see what looks like opposition may actually be God providing Balaam with an opportunity. Who are the men with you? In verse 10, 11, Balaam responds to God's question. God asks him, who, who are these guys with you? He, and he tells him, he, look, they're the, the king has sent these guys and they want me to drive out the children of Israel by going and cursing them. Let's pick it up at verse 12. And God says to Balaam, this is his response, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. They are blessed. Verses 13 through 17 kind of tells us this story of what happens. The man, he goes to him, he says, look, God says, I can't curse those people because they're blessed. They go back to the king. The king says, I'm not taking no for an answer. The enemy won't take no for an answer in your life just because you tell him no. He's going to fight you on some things. And so he sends the people back, and he sends them back with more to entice Balaam. Balaam sees all this stuff coming with greater princes, greater, greater, greater people of notoriety, greater goods and greater things to offer him. And he again goes to God again and says, God, can I go with them? Verse 18 says, Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. The enemy cannot go beyond the word of the Lord to do less or more. He cannot deal with what the Lord says and do anything about it. What God says is true is true. And there's nothing the enemy can do to change that. He can't add to it and he can't take away from it. The only people that can do that is us in our own lives. We can decide if the word of the Lord is true for us or not. And we can let the enemy have more place or less place based on what we choose to believe. But the fact is there is a truth that remains. There is a facts that remain and they are above any question or above any change. And what we have to decide as his people is if we're going to believe them or not and receive them. Balaam says to Balaam, look, hey, it doesn't matter what you offer me. I can't go beyond the word of the Lord to do less or more. And so point three is this. God says, hey, the enemy can't curse what I bless. The enemy can't curse what I bless. When the church moves against the enemy, he doesn't like it. He starts looking for ways to curse and stop the process. But what you have to understand is that he cannot curse what is God's. He can only curse what is his. He can't curse what's God's. I don't care what anybody says about 
me and my situation. They can do nothing to me but what I allow them to do. I'm God's and His word spoken over me is true. And it stands apart from anybody else. They can say what they want. They can do what they want. But what I choose to believe is how I can live. And I choose to live upon the word of God because it is solid. It is true. It is unwavering and unchanging. And it is my guidebook for life. And it can be everybody else's guidebook for life too. It doesn't matter. He can't curse what's God's. He can only curse what's His. Verse 6, Balak recognizes that he can't do anything about the people of Israel moving in on him. So he's looking for someone to do his dirty work. He looks for someone to curse them. First, he tries to get someone to curse what, is, what God is doing uh, in the life of these people. And the enemy does the same thing. He tries to get someone to curse what God is doing in your life. And he tries to get you to believe it. I want to talk to you for a second about intimidation. Because the enemy uses the spirit of intimidation to try to keep you neutralized for God. He'll have people come along when you start to step out and you start to believe and you start to do the things God's asking you to do. He'll have people come along and they'll say, I don't know why you got to act like that. I don't know who you think you are. I don't know where you get off thinking that you're supposed to be like this and, and do this for the Lord. And they'll begin to question and curse everything that God's doing. People don't like it when they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing and you are. It makes them feel insecure. It makes them feel unworthy. And so oftentimes what they do is they begin to curse you because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing when in reality what they really need to do is just step up themselves. It's the story of Cain and Abel. It's the story of Cain and Abel. Cain did not bring the right offering to the Lord and he does some halfway attempt at pleasing and worshiping the Lord. Abel comes along and he does his very best for God. And God... Uh, commends Abel and doesn't say a lot to Cain and Cain gets ticked off about it. And what he does is he comes and he starts a fight with his brother and he kills Abel. Why? Because he didn't do what he was supposed to do and Abel did. And church, people in the world, all of it can be used to do the very same things. You've got to be careful because the enemy is looking for any open vessel he can use to curse your life and get you to believe it. Second thing he does is he wants to get you to curse the process. If he can't get somebody else to curse it and get you to believe it, then he'll try to provoke those things in your life and get you to speak against them. Remember a couple of weeks ago when I preached on stewardship, I said this. I said, excuses excuse you from the opportunity God is trying to give you. In the same fashion, I can't, I can't statements are curses that we speak over ourselves. There are curses that we speak over our own lives. It's the enemy's way of prompting us to speak against the very thing that God wants to do. What are you talking about? I'm saying like this. I can't give because I don't have the money. I curse my ability to produce. I can't serve in the church because I don't have time. I curse my time with a plague of busyness. I can't work out the differences with my spouse and my marriage. I curse my ability to compromise and trench myself in my position and blind myself to finding common ground. When I can't become I won't, we have put ourselves in a place of disobedience and have alienated ourselves from God's protection, opening us up to the abuses of the enemy. Don't let I can'ts dictate the outcome of your life. 
Don't let I can'ts dictate the outcome of your life because God says with all things, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. All things are possible to him who believes. With men it may be impossible, but with God all things are possible. There's no room for I can't. There's only room for I will. And I did. Because when our I can'ts become I wants, we put ourselves in a place of disobedience and we simply put ourselves in a wedge against God away from the Lord and put ourselves out of position so that he can do something in us. The enemy can't curse you if you're God's, but he will do his best to get others to curse you and get you to believe them or get you to curse yourself. The fact is what and who God blesses, no one and no thing can curse. I'm his, so therefore I'm blessed. Balaam is a slow learner. We already know that from from the text. Because in verse 19, when these guys come back around the second time, he runs into the same situation again. He says in verse 19, Now therefore, please, you also stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. It wasn't enough to have the one sleep over. He, He gives them another opportunity. In verse 20 and 21, God comes to Balaam and says, If the men ask you to go with them, you go. But you only say what I tell you to say. So the next day, Balaam gets up and goes with them. Now let's pick it up in verse 22. God's anger was aroused because he went, because Balaam went. Now God tells him to go. And that seems a little bit odd that now God's mad because he's actually going. But what we need to understand is God's sending was not in harmony with Balaam's going. In other words, Balaam went with his own purpose in mind. He didn't go with the purpose that God sent him. And so he he says here that the anger of the Lord was aroused against him because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. That's a bad day when the Lord is your adversary. And he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and the wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me. I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said no. Point number four is this. God says, Hey, don't fight against the one trying to help you. Don't fight against the one trying to help you. Balaam's going, like I said, is not in harmony with God's sending. God sent him with a purpose in mind. Now Balaam goes with another purpose in mind. You remember earlier when I said what looks like an opportunity, the money for Balaam may actually be opposition, and what looks like opposition now, the donkey not going, is actually God providing Balaam with an opportunity here. God's trying to steal in His grace Turn this man from his collision course with disaster. The donkey says to Balaam, Hey, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam responds by saying, Hey, Jack. You'll get that in a minute. You have abused me. 
I wish I had a sword and I would kill you. Here's what I see in the text. I see Balaam as the original Uncle Si. Here he is. He's driving down the road on a donkey. That's a pretty picture in itself. And then all of a sudden this donkey goes into the field. He's beating that donkey trying to get back on the field. The donkey crushes his foot against the rock. This is a comical scene. And then the next thing, the donkey just decides to lay down. And he is beating on this donkey. And finally the donkey just looks at him and says, What are you doing? Why are you hitting on me? Now what I really think is funny is that Balaam doesn't seem shocked by that. There's no shock in the, in the scripture. It's just the fact that this donkey's talking to me, now I'm going to talk back to the donkey. And he's so mad that he doesn't even realize that this animal who does not speak is now speaking. And he says to him, Hey, you have run me into the wall, you've hurt me, and if I had a sword, I would kill you right now. And the donkey says, have I not been faithful to you all these years? Have I not been your donkey and always done what you've asked me to do? Why are you trying to hurt me? And Balaam begins to calm down, realize what's going on, stop speaking donkeys to this donkey, <laughs> and realizes that God might be trying to get his attention. And what I'm saying to you today in that is this, that we oftentimes fight against the very one who's trying to help us. God is trying to work in us. God's trying to help you in your situation. And we spend a lot of our time fighting against the very one who's trying to bring about a better result in our lives. He's trying to change the outcome. Balaam was headed for destruction. The angel of the Lord was going to kill him. And the donkey, provoked by God to to change his course, saved his life. I'm thankful for a gracious God who even though we don't deserve it, even though we've, we've bunkered the enemy maybe once, twice, many times in our lives and we've gone against the very word that he spoke to us, he still in his grace provides opportunity after opportunity to change our course. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't quit you. He's still by his love and mercy offering you a way of escape. Balaam finally begins to understand what's going on. And here's what I want you to get. Don't fight against the one trying to help you. Don't be a stubborn donkey because it ain't good. The real donkey in the story is not the donkey, it's Balaam. He's the stubborn one. He's the one that doesn't change his mind. He's the one that's stuck in a path that he's taking and he's not uh, changing his course. The real donkey's Balaam and don't be one of those. Because it's not good. Verse 31 as I close. God opens Balaam's eyes and he sees what's going on. Verse 32. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. You're coming for the wrong reason. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have also have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. I want to say to Balaam, really? You did not know in verse 34 that you stood, that the Lord stood in the way against you? He has told you every way, shape, and form that he could possibly tell you not to do what you're doing and you still go forward? Isn't it amazing how we have such deaf ears sometimes to what the Lord is trying to speak to us? 
that we are blinded by what God's actually trying to do in our lives when He is speaking to us in a number of ways, a number of venues, and a number of different opportunities are presented before us to do what's right, and yet we still choose our own way? I'm thankful that He will finally get our attention, finally shake us, and we will have these aha moments when we finally recognize, oh, I didn't know you wanted me to do this, God. God must have amazing patience. Amen? He must have just this unendless reservoir of patience because I'm telling you, after you tell somebody something two, three, four, seven, eight, fifteen times, you finally get to the point where, you know, what else can you do? But God just keeps calling on us and He keeps telling us and He keeps helping us to get where we're supposed to be. Balaam finally gets it. He says to God, hey, I realize now that I am here not to serve my purpose but to serve yours. And here's the deal. We have a land to claim, church. We have to decide whose side we're going to fight on and that we're going to fight with the one trying to help us in our journey and not fight against him. We have to decide who we're going to take with us on this journey and realize that the enemy cannot curse what God has blessed in our lives. So that means I cannot fail. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We would love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Sunday school and at 10.30 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you would like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burkrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Till I found myself.